Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. <laughs> Let's try that again. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for another episode, an In the Flesh episode. Another one. Season two, episode two, which means we're a third of the way through season two. Oh, and I did look up more about the podcast um, that the Dominic Mitchell wrote, mm-hmm. um, and apparently he announced it in 2022. And that's as far as I got. So I haven't dug any farther, but it's very recent. So it's cool. possible it, there's a re- collab, a distinct but not remote possibility that it's not out yet. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do some more a collab. I heard you. I heard what you said. <clears throat> I didn't ignore you. I just steamrolled past you. We'll be his hype man. Yeah, be like, come on, let's just do it. We should. We should well, contact no, we're, him. We're building up hype. Yeah. I mean, right before he releases it. His hype folks. Hype folks. I like yeah. that. Yeah, because. Hyper folks. I mean, we'd do it. I'd do it. Come yeah. on. You you just hand me the scripts. We'll read them. I'll fucking read them for you. It's fine. Because I know this is going to add in a cliffhanger. Because it got canceled and it's on the BBC. Yeah. And if this episode has taught us anything, no one is safe. Nothing no one is, is sacred. Nothing is sacred. In fact, I did what I said I wasn't going to do for In the Flesh, and I took notes. I was like, oh, I'll just treat this like movie episodes. We'll just (laughs) chat it out. But God, it got so complex. I was like, hang on, hang on, hang on. I got to get my notebook. Yeah, she told me there's so much happening. I need to. I got to get my notebook because we're going to not talk about something that I want to talk about. And then I'm going to be listening to the episode to edit it, and I'm going to be like, shit. But before we get started, hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. forgot to do that last time and i had to put the music at the very beginning mm. it was just we're just keeping everybody on their toes that's always an indication of how excited we are to yeah. do it because we didn't stop and introduce ourselves we just rolled with it um the website is up i just want to put that out there before we like get going hey i actually got to do something yeah, you got to connect it to our strangeandbeautiful.club. So if you go to strangeandbeautiful.club now, there's a nice new website Woo-hoo. that works. That has separate pages for uh, each of our published it's podcasts. It's got pages. It's got a merch page that just says under construction, but it's there. It's got a podcast page. It's got the book club calendar. It has nice little Instagram and YouTube. Yeah. I- Graphs. And I tried putting Patreon up there, mm-hmm. but it just made the little link symbol. And I was like, okay, well, let me put in the Patreon symbol. And it was like, no, no, we already have it. And it was just the link symbol. And I was ah. like, my outs. No one's going to click on a link. So that's why Patreon is underneath the banner. But it's gotcha. There. And I put a handy like mini guide to the first six months of the book club on Patreon. 
And I know I've said this before, but I always say it at the end, and I know y'all skip it. I love you, but I know you skip it. And at the end, I tell you that Patreon is mostly public. So that's kind of like our blog. If you go and follow it, a lot of what I put up there for blog posts is public. And then any content is usually behind the paywall. But at least you can read about what we're up to. Or you can pay a dollar a month and get all the content. So just going to leave that there. Because I want to talk about this in the flesh episode. Oh boy, does she. (laughs) I mean... They have to cover a lot, and they do, and somehow it doesn't feel rushed, but boy, does it feel full. And we are continuing to explore Jemima's full breakdown. I mean, oh, yes. she is in a death spiral. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I like that we're not avoiding it. Yeah, we're not avoiding it. And I think we're also caught up with all the shit that's happening with Kieran. They're just like, well, Jemima's okay. Right. Yeah, and the, I think, the parents don't notice yet. Yeah, and I think Jemima doesn't want to rock the boat. So she's not like, hey, guys, I'm literally sleeping on a towel because my night sweats are so bad. Which is really sad. Mm-hmm. She has to take the towel that Kieran uses to cover the mirror <laughs> so he can't see himself when he takes his makeup off. Wow. There is a lot going on in this household. There's a, But that's how we open is Jemima's having a nightmare. That she's taking her test and blood is coming out of her pen. And, and then, then everybody turns into zombies and no. starts partially deceased yep. sufferers. Or should we just call them the undead? PDS. Yeah. Just call them PDS. Yeah. PDS sufferers and try to eat her. Yep. And she wakes up and she's so sweaty. She has to get another towel to sleep on, even though it's gone through to her sheets. Poor Jemima. Yeah. Yeah. And she still has to go to school. Right. She, she changes out the towel. She lays down, pulls the cover up, and her dad's like, Jemima, breakfast. breakfast. <laughs> so she comes down, and they're having a French-themed breakfast send-off for Kieran. How cute is that? Yeah, their parents are super sweet about Yeah, the it. dad is really trying, and he's made French toast. He's like, a little cholesterol never killed anybody. And the mom goes, ask the vicar. which i almost made a crack last episode about how this is not real life this is such a movie trope that you get into a fight and then the other guy dies of a heart attack and then matt was talking to his brother and they literally have a friend who got into a fight with somebody and when he turned around to walk away the guy had a heart attack which is really sad like it happened in real life and it's really sad and i honestly thought that that was just like a movie thing though like you know oh god he's having hard yeah stressful interaction right followed by heart attack yes which the only other uh thing that has happened the only other corollary to this in my life is i watched a mythbusters where they they debunked the myth that a CD could explode in your CD drive. Do you remember that? They ended up having to microwave the CD to weaken yes. it. And then they were able yeah. to get it to blow up. But just normal use, no matter what RPM they ran it at, it yeah, never blew up. I think up. They, they ended up running it outside of any kind of yeah. like disc disc reader or anything because it couldn't get going fast enough right and they just couldn't get it to explode and then i had a friend who was playing diablo diablo 2 
Uh-huh. And the disc exploded in her computer. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Mythbusters, lie! <laughs> I always, I liked the one uh, where they were trying, they were investigating a, like a tractor trailer tire yeah. exploding and destroying the car to the side of it. Yes. And they were, they spent like days trying to get a tire to explode. Right. And then they were like, no, this is ridiculous. We're, tr- we're trying to find out if a piece of retread, like that's flung off of a tire that explodes, could be moving fast enough horizontally to go through a window and kill somebody. Yeah. And so they... Then they went through a much easier to reproduce situation where they got tires to explode and measured how fast the retread exploded off. Yeah. And then they just shot a piece of retread at a truck window. (laughs) (laughs) I mean. Break the problem down. I love Mythbusters. Yeah. All right. but Lots of valuable problem solving skills there. Back to our PDS. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Who, uh, speaking of creative problem solving, apparently the commune has been making its own liquid, like (laughs) medicine. Now they're injecting apple cider vinegar. I know. That's what it really looks like. It's a solution for everything. Oh, God. (laughs) It's essential oils. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It's. Working. I mean, yes, it is working. Whatever it is they are using, it is working. Um, but Mostly. it is not the um, commonly prescribed neurotriptyline that everyone else is taking. Because which it turns out is a real medication. And, and yeah, and they're storing it in a jar in the fridge. Which I guess sanitation isn't really. I mean, if you're dead, you can literally survive being um, stabbed. Bacteria is not a problem. Yeah, probably you, you must. Have on some level, be toxic to bacteria. Yeah, I don't know. So anyway, Amy's hand is Ooh, still trembling. Maybe it's trembling. a fungus thing, and literally your body is like 20% penicillin. I mean, isn't that the premise of... Last of Us. Last yeah, of fungus Us. And yeah, it's yeah. the cordyceps. I'm, I don't know, because we don't know why they rose. Yet. Yet. Although I did note in this episode that the zombie makeup is far less severe this episode, this season, Mm -hmm. than the previous season. Probably because they were going to be going around in zombie face so much more. Mm. Uh. Uh, Tame PDS suffer makeup is less severe. But when the kid at school takes a little whiff of some... Blue Origin? Blue Oblivion. Oblivion. Blue Origin. <laughs> Blue Oblivion. Yeah, he's a little bit more creepy than... Yeah, like the yeah. eye sockets are droopy and... Yeah, they go full um, Buffy with it, where they get yeah. like a forehead prosthetic. Like rabid people Rabid people look different. They have like a more demonic yeah. face. And they have black streaky stuff. And... Yeah. Yeah. And that, that may have... I was thinking that may have been like enhanced... By Jem's trauma. Oh, it could have been, but also could be because of blue. It was blue oblivion. They wasn't yeah. truly rabid. He was like chemically induced rabid. Yeah. I don't know. Where does the extra face stuff go when they get better? It's uh. 
Is it fluid pockets? Uh, it, yeah. Is it like a face erection? It's like edema. <laughs> it's like a face erection. Sorry. <laughs> <Kids poop. laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> we find out that Simon has been interviewing Risen in Rorton because they're talking to this girl. They're like, well, when did you rise? Do you remember anything about it? And she's like, honestly, I don't, I don't fucking think about it. And they're like, man, that's cool. And Amy's hand has continued to tremble, which she's hiding from everybody. Except her doctor. Except her. She does go to the doctor. She goes to the doctor. This must And she fully hmm. admits, oh, yeah, we were making our own medicine. Yeah, I've been using Bragg's uh, apple cider vinegar because <laughs> that one has the mother, which it always says. <laughs> and uh, some peppermint. And her doctor's oil. like. Well, the, um, the doctor's reaction well, your problem right was kind of like, that's not recommended, but it's obviously not horrible for you right. because you're here having a civil conversation with me. Yes. Like seeking improved health outcomes for yourself. So it's not the worst thing in the world to substitute for right. neurotriptyline. But maybe it's not the best either. Like let's right. just, yeah, that's yeah. Your hand is shaking anymore. uncontrollably. Yeah. So yeah, and we go back to the parish council, and they have passed something, some new measure. Philippe has been promoted. Yeah, Philip is no longer like clerk. He is on the parish council. He is a councilman. Yes, and very excited because, as we talked about in the first season, he's always wanted to get into politics. Politics, politics, or his mom calls it the greasy pole. <laughs> Did you catch that? Yes. She's like, "There's more to life than the greasy pole." And I just—is that? I don't know. Do we have British listeners? Can someone tell me what that means? The greasy pole sounds so obscene in some way. I just—it um, sounds. My interpretation was that it's something Sisyphean. <laughs> was, that that inter- oh, was that your interpretation? I mean, uh, obviously, where, that's what everybody leapt to first. Where off. It's, yeah. it's hard work that generally gets you nowhere. I, I mean, I got you. I get, yeah. yeah, Sisyphus. Sisyphus is the guy who rolls the boulder up. He's the rolls the boulder up the hill every morning and it rolls down every evening or whatever. Yeah. And it's like a um, the Stoics. Yeah. And hard the, work. The stuff. Well, yeah. it was a ancient greek myth right about an unbearable punishment but the stoics said that we must imagine sisyphus was happy must we (laughs) must we okay (laughs) that wasn't the exact quote but yeah i mean i i got you yeah the original quote was in greek right and i can't quite pronounce some of those that's fine you don't need to all right so karen has He's trying to get. Oh, I to... bet John Capelos could do it for us. Oh, John, please. He's even being Socrates. Yeah, he was. He he put up a video of him talking in the like Socratic accent that he used. Yep, it was really good. I wish we could have gone, but all right. So Kieran is at the train station because he's going to take the train to the airport to go to Paris. That was going the to whole Paris. Point of the breakfast, and I piece. really like like I. I, I'm 80% confident. Yeah. 80%. Same as Kieran is staying because 
all the action is happening in Rorton. Right. There's zero chance our and main characters fucking I off like to Paris. That, I like that they didn't go for cheap, like plot device. Yeah. To, can you know, convince Kieran to back off himself. Right. right. He's going. He wants right. to. He is dressed up. He's got his passport. He's got his suitcase. He's ready to go. Amy meets him at the train station, and Amy is like, "Hard pass. I don't want you to go." And Kieran is like, hard pass. I am not fucking staying. I'll miss you. I really, really will. And if you want to visit me in Paris, feel free. I'll write you a postcard. But I'm out. So he goes to buy his ticket and Amy is there. And of course, Amy's not wearing makeup because Amy is one of the redeemed. She's converted. She doesn't wear makeup anymore. And she has an interesting line where she asks him, how many layers of cover up moose do you have on? How many are you going to be able to take off when you get to Paris? How far, How far will you have to go to, to be able to take one off. off? Yeah. Yeah. How far How far away do you need to run before you be before you can be yourself? How about let's go to somewhere that's a little less oppressive? Yeah. And, and see Karen's where like, we are. I don't know, but I'm kind of ready to find out. If that's a threat, I'm not saying it as a threat. I'm like, yeah, how far away do I have to go before I can be myself? Let's find out. And so he goes to buy the ticket, and the guy's like, oh, are you a PDS sufferer? Sorry, I can't sell you this ticket. Right, and if Amy wasn't there, he probably wouldn't have been suspicious. Yeah, because his passport doesn't say anything about him being PDS. Because he got his his passport. He should have been grandfathered in. Right, I mean, that's we'll talk about that when we get there. So he says, why don't you just wait? You got to wait. So he waits, and Philip shows up. And Philip's like, oh, we're having a kickoff seminar this morning and everyone and you have to attend yeah every pds sufferer is required to attend you absolutely must go literally right. literally you have to go like you you're required by law it's required and so they go to this kickoff seminar but we'll get there that but that's where they have to head he can't leave because he's got to go to this only pds have to go to it but he has to go and we cut back to Jem, who is at school and she gets outed as an HVF member because they're talking about the people that invented the medicine that would make PDS sufferers not rabid. Right. And they're learning about it. And so the the one um, PDS kid who has the hots for Jem mm-hmm. is like, well, what about Jem? She's a war hero. Why aren't we talking about the HVF? And the teacher's kind of like- Why is HVF not even in the book? Right. And the teacher's kind of like, um, do you- do you want to talk about HVF, like the people that killed your people? And he's like, oh, yeah, Jem's it, war hero. He's just trying to get on her good side because right. he, he likes her so much. And she's like, oh, um, yeah, I guess. I mean, does anybody want to hear stories? Because nobody knew it. Nobody believed she was. It's not like she went around advertising the fact that she was in the HVF. Because I think at this point, she's slightly ashamed. And a little bit conflicted about her feelings about what she did when she was in the HVF. Because now she's interacting. And especially what happened with Rick and Bill. Yes. And then the other guys in the HVF. Right. Are so cringy. Yeah. And she's interacting on a daily basis with the same people that like maybe a year, year and a half ago, she was shooting in the head with a gun. Right. And it has to lead her to wonder, did I kill people 
because at the time they were monsters, but now they're not monsters, which means that the people that I killed could have been saved. Right. And I didn't. And I recognized the picture of one of the dudes who is like the doctor. Yeah. Who invented it. So for sure we're going to meet them. Either that or they just used a British actor's picture. So that should that would be interesting. So well, I guess we're going to find out. <laughs> but they go. we go back to the kickoff, which apparently the kids at school don't need to go to. Maybe they don't live in Roarton. School could be somewhere else. That's true. It could be yeah. a different parish or county or whatever. Right. And so we get Philip pushes in this total substitute teacher TV DVD combo cart. To yes. this group full of BDS sufferers. They are not entertaining. They are not entertaining. He ends up putting a DVD in, and the DVD is like, hey, you guys are going to be our slaves. Woo! <laughs> it's our new scheme. They even call it a scheme. Don't call your schemes a scheme. They're initiatives. They're yeah. programs. They are uh, whatever, but not a scheme. <laughs> It's like, these are our not evil scheme to keep PDS sufferers under our thumbs. Under our thumbs. But it's called the PDS give back scheme. And so because the PDS destroyed communities, now they are going to be given the chance to volunteer to rebuild the communities they once destroyed. And so it's this sickeningly positive spin. don't know why that word wouldn't come out. This sickeningly positive spin on what is effectively slavery. Yep. Because they are going to be forced to, quote, volunteer. It's mandatory. Mandatorily volunteer to do work with the expectation that in some amount of time, they will be evaluated and potentially given the opportunity to be citizens again. So they've been stripped of their citizenship. Right. They didn't even inform them that their citizenship had been revoked. Right. It was only at the end of the video. They were like, and you know, you'll be up for review to be re-citizenized. Yeah. Oh, surprise, you're not Hold citizens up. anymore. You took away our citizenship and didn't even tell us? Yeah, but you're going to get a cool vest, so shut up about it, okay? And a high five, And a high maybe. five. And the, <laughs> the video is so ridiculous. I'm a PDS sufferer, and I'm so excited about a chance to give back. And they're all like, what the fuck is this? And so Ren goes up to Maxine Martin, and he's like, um, I'm leaving. Like, I bought a ticket. I have my passport i'm not gonna stay and she's like oh can i see your passport and so he gives it to her and she's like oh yeah you must have filled out the wrong form or no they did you There's, do it down in the post office yeah, they here? don't have the new they're form so yet. behind yeah there's supposed to be a checkbox you didn't check it so this isn't valid dude no that's it's government valid. issued it's valid he could have just dipped with it i would have been like oh okay and taken the passport all and right just walked the fuck to the i'll airport. see you at the yeah. The mandatory volunteer activity tomorrow. Nope. Nope. But. Just go to a different town with a valid passport. Right. And if he's got enough cover-up moves on, as long as he gets on the yeah. plane, what are they going to do? Evict him back to the United Kingdom? I don't know. He ends up going back home, which is really kind of sad. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's just missed it by that much. By a day. Missed it by a day. 
But we find out that Jem being in the HVF is actually making her popular. Making, giving her back some of that feeling of being included that she had in the HVF. Mm. But with these, like, mean girl Ew. kids. Yeah. Yeah. And then Kieran returns home. Um, and it's kind of sad because his parents were worried. And they're like, well, he said he would call. She's like, well, he said he'd call when he landed. And he hasn't landed yet. Well, he hadn't even left. Right. Because he can't even leave. And then we get a little bit more about Philip. Ooh, Philip. Yes, at the end of the last episode, <laughs> we, we got a little clip of Philip going to Ishtar. some type of yeah. speakeasy or something where he right. had to give a password. Mm-hmm. And mm. now he's sitting and having dinner with his mom, and they're eating on, like, TV trays. And she's like, Philip. This is when she calls it the greasy pole. She's like, there's more to life than the greasy pole. Have you thought about getting a girlfriend? And he's like, oh, my God, Mom. Like, it's not that easy. And she's like, actually, I made you a dating profile. <laughs> How embarrassing. Love sick puppies. And she's like, look, here's a local girl. She gave you, like, three paws out of five. And he's like, Mom, oh, my <sighs> God. <laughs> it's like the most embarrassing dating site <laughs> concept I can imagine. Horrible. Luckily, I met Rachel right away, so my mom didn't have to make it. <laughs> I think if I had me. to go on a dating profile or dating site, I'd just be like, and I'm single forever. <laughs> that sounds so horrible. <laughs> I mean, if you found your love on a dating site, more power to you, but hopefully it wasn't lovesick puppies. Let's just put it that way. And poor Philip is just as horrified as we are. He's like, oh my fucking God, Mom, you can't do that. And so he's like, I'm leaving. And he runs off to his speakeasy again. Hmm. The mysterious location. And this time he's getting filmed out Somebody's of the Somebody's recording him Somebody is from recording the building. Him. Yeah. And you know what he wants in this speakeasy? This speakeasy is a PDS brothel. It is. It's a PDS brothel. So he apparently is a regular here. Yeah. Uh, his regular uh, partner shows up. Oh, you want the usual? Yeah, the full girlfriend treatment. The usual get up, and he's like, "Yep." If you have the time. If you have the time, so he goes. She goes in and changes into like Amy clothes. Yeah. And he calls her Amy, and they cuddle. They snuggle on the bed and, and watch, watch a movie. Watch a movie. That's <sighs> not Fill what up. I was expecting. I got to admit, I was like, "Okay, Ishtar." It's probably some kind of a brothel, maybe a PDS brothel, because we know he he has he, a thing. he hooked up with Amy, so yeah. this might be a thing that you know does it for him. Um, whatever, it's all consensual. So I kind of figured that might be what it is. I was not expecting the. <laughs> I am so in love with Amy. I literally role play dating her. I pay people to be her. That was not where I thought that was going. That was a nice twist. That was a nice twist. Yeah. And it feels very in character for Philip. Yeah. And speaking of Amy, we go back to talk to her again because they are once again injecting their apple cider vinegar. <laughs> and Simon takes it just fine, but Amy does not. Right. She has kind of a... Mini seizure. Mini seizure. Yeah. And she's like, I'm fine. Dum dum. 
don't don't ask me about it anymore. I don't want to talk about it. And Simon's like, um, okay, I guess. And she's like, do you know what we're actually supposed to be doing here? Like, we're supposed to gather everyone together, and then what? And Simon's like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, here's verbatim my instructions. Yeah. It's like, find the first Risen in Rorton and gather them. Full stop. I think I paraphrased. Uh, no, but. I don't think you did. I think that was pretty much exactly what their instructions were. Nice. Kind of what happens when you listen to people wearing skull masks on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Who could encourage you to join a commune, give up all of your medication that's keeping you sane, and inject apple cider vinegar instead, <clears throat> is you end up like getting vague tasks. Yeah. There's a book called The Phantom Toll Booth. And there's a scene where he meets, so there's three characters that are traveling together, and it's Milo and the humbug and uh, the watchdog. Yeah. And one of them is supposed to dig a hole through the mountain with a toothpick, and the other one has to remove all the water from this well with a teaspoon, and the other one has to move a pile of sand with tweezers. Yes. And so every time someone gets a meaningless task like this, find every find the risen in Rorton and gather them. I think about that. I think they're called the like procrastinators or something. They have like a the whole Phantom Toll booth oh, is yeah. one giant pun. So um yeah, anyway, excellent book. Highly recommended. I haven't said that in a while, so I just want to get that out there. So Jem is hanging out with one of the popular girls. And they went and got cider, which apparently that two-liter bottle thing that she was drinking the whole first season is, is uh, liquor. High alcohol. <laughs> in like hard a cider. giant, giant container that in they just- In a two-liter plastic they just bottle. just sell at the stop and shop. <laughs> like, okay. I mean, she, they go there to get it, and Jem almost has another freak out. Right, because it's Clearly this right is a where trigger. she saw Kieran. Yeah, so she needs to quit shopping at Costco and start shopping at Sam's Club. Clearly, Costco's a trigger. Don't go to Costco. Who cares how good their hot dogs are? Go to the other place. You cannot handle it. Maybe there's mm. not another spot. Maybe it, yeah. Rorton's so small, it's like a... It's probably the only, like, full grocery store. Yeah, but we find out that the uh, nasty, popular girl might have hidden depths. And we dive into that real quick because Kieran shows up and he's like, here's my extra moose. Here's my spare moose. I, I brought you a container. Oh, yeah. And, and she's, like, being she's like, I don't like, want your moose. Total cool girl. Oh, yeah. yeah. She's like, ew, gross. I don't want your like nasty like I even dead use guy moose. And he's like, um, you said it. You Yes, you use it. I know you do. You said it covers your spots better than like store-bought cosmetics. <laughs> and she's like. Uh, leave, leave my room right now. You're so gross. Oh my God. And he looks over at her friend like, I know exactly why you're doing this, but okay, that's fine. I hate me too. (laughs) (laughs) And he leaves. And uh, the girl's like, is your brother a PDS sufferer? And he, she's like, yeah, yeah, I guess he is. But like, whatever. And she's like, no, you're really lucky to have him. She's like, yeah, we're lucky to have him. She's like, no, you're really lucky to have him. You got your brother back forever. And Jem's like, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I I, I knew that. I really did. I did actually know that. And then we see her 
the nasty popular girl, trying to make breakfast for her mother, and her mother won't eat. And today yeah. is the rising show-and-tell day, so she <sighs> slips a picture out of a frame and takes yeah. it to school. So something's about to happen there pretty quickly. And yeah. can I say, this soundtrack, the soundtrack to this show, I know you looked it up because there's a couple of like guitar sections that you said reminded you yeah. of. The the Last of Us. Yeah, Last of Us is this like famous classical guitar composer. Uh, and one of the songs sounded reminiscent. So I looked it up, but and, and then the music changed and yeah. hasn't gone back to that. But one. all the soundtrack is so delightfully melancholy. Yeah. It is so like dashboard confessional. <laughs> but somehow... Which is, the right time period. It's the right time period, and it's the right tone. Yeah. It's good. It all fits. But this is their first day on assignment as a PDS indentured servants. And Simon arrives late, and Philip's like, you arrived, you're here, you're late. And Simon's like, sorry, commandant. <laughs> and Philip's like, don't fucking call me that. And he's like, oh, sorry, commandant like Simon's <laughs> just like I have absolutely zero shits to give Simon is here for a reason yeah of his own choosing yeah he's not here because you asked him to be here he's here to talk to Kieran he's he here Kieran because be Kieran here. is here and he needs to talk to Kieran right so he ends up working with Kieran they're like they're building the fence they're rebuilding the fence which would Simon have been included it like is I mean, he a resident there, of Rorton, or is it just because he's there? Maybe because he's like, there. Where, where's his probably like, legally any PDS people? Resident? I, I don't know. I don't know if they, we don't cover that because we don't talk about whether they have like zones they have to stay in, or if because he was here and he attended that meeting, now he's stuck here. I'm guessing when Amy moved back, like she updated her mailing address or whatever, and. Simon also updated his mailing address to Amy's house. Yeah, maybe that's all it takes. I yeah, so like he he moved his legal residence to this town. Right. Whatever. Yeah. So, I don't know. But he talks to Kieran, and Kieran's like shoveling, and we see his scars again, his wrist scars. And he ends up pulling his shirt down, and Simon's like, hey, man, we've all got scars. It's fine. So Simon and he pulls has up his like the most... Arms emo conversation i think i've ever heard in my entire life i mean it's good it's poignant it's well done it gives us a lot about simon's character because he's talking about how when he was alive he thought that every single day was the worst day of his life he had severe untreated depression and he self-medicated with drugs because if all life is an illusion anyway then fuck it I'm just going to do, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make that go away. And that's how he died, is he overdosed. And it's bleak and emo. And Kieran's just like, wow, you are bringing down the tone. <laughs> right? Somehow you are more, <laughs> you are more extra about this than me. And I just got three episodes all about how sad my life was before I died and how I'm trying to make it better now. But oof, man, geez, you take the cake. I mean, it's kind of cute. 
I mean, cute in like a, in a Simon and Kieran are a little bit flirting kind of way. Oh like, yeah, Simon's oh, totally maybe, flirting with Kieran. Maybe Kieran's going to get a little after Rick action. That would be good. I mean, it's not, it's been a while. It's been a while. I mean, he lost Rick a long time ago. He hasn't had Rick. For, I mean, it's been a while, right? right. This isn't a, this isn't necessarily a rebound. It isn't necessarily fast. It's time. It's time for him to start exploring love with somebody else that you can love more than one person in your life. So that would that would be interesting if that's what we're setting Simon up to be. Or if Simon is just manipulating Karen. Yeah. And the only PDS sufferer who has not shown up is Amy. And we find that out because Gary arrives... And Gary is going to relieve Philip in the duty of watching the PDS sufferers because Philip has a doctor's why appointment. Why fucking Gary? Because <laughs> fucking Gary, that's why. There's like three men in this village. It's Gary, it's the stringy blonde haired dude whose name who's I cannot Who's actually retain. on like a redemption arc. Right. And Kieran's dad. And that's like <laughs> it. And the guy that's on the council. I don't know. I don't know. Um, for some reason, Gary, because I think Gary keeps bugging Maxine about a job. That's that, probably that's why. A good point. Because every yeah. time we see him, he's pretty much in there like, hey, can I get paid to do this? Can I get paid to do this? Because now that there's an abundant supply of free labor, I'm sure jobs are hard to come by. Yes, especially for someone like Gary who just does odd jobs. Right. And he's got one skill set, and that's that's killing PDS sufferers are capturing them, and that's a dying profession, literally. So he's there to keep an eye on them. And so Philip goes to the doctor, and it turns out Amy is at the doctor because Amy is talking to the doctor about how her hands shake. And the doctor is like, well, that would probably be the homemade drugs you've been injecting. And she's like, do you think? God, really? Why? Maybe. Hmm. I don't know. So he writes her a prescription, and she's leaving, and she runs into Philip. And Philip's like, Oh, hi, Amy. And we as the viewer have just literally watched him pay somebody to pretend to be Amy because he wants to be with Amy so bad. And Amy's like, fuck off. She does not want to talk to him at all. She's like, what do you want? What do you want? And he's like, oh, I'm just like, I'm, I'm just here. I'm at a regular doctor's appointment. It's not STD related or anything. And she's like, like I fucking asked. I didn't want to know. <laughs> and he's like, oh, well, you know, just so you know, like, I don't have an STD. I, 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 don't, I don't have one. And she's like, whatever. You're dribbling your pee on yourself because he's got a little pee cup that he's peed in. And he yeah. tips it and pours it on himself. Poor guy. Oh, Philip. I mean, I, I don't pity Philip too much because he's very heavily bullshitting himself on yeah. multiple levels. But I don't know. I don't know where we're going with Philip. I thought we were going one way with Philip and we've made a 180. And I'm just not sure if we're going to stay on this track. Um, uh, given the track record for heavily religious people involved in politics, it does not strike me as unlikely that Philip can maintain this whole fantasy life paying people to pretend to be amy and then in his public life aggressively persecuting the people yeah that are 
uh, publicly like him. Right. Like he is in private because so much of it is projection. Right. Like modern, like current affairs. So much of the persecution is projection. Yeah. That as much as this show has been an accurate metaphor for our current state of affairs, that fits right in. The motherfucking greasy pole. Yep. Well, I mean, if you look at Philip's experience in politics, it's been the vicar. And yeah. the vicar's power came through manipulation and fear-mongering. Yep. So as far as Philip's education goes, That's politics is manipulation and fear-mongering. So he it's sees... the way it's always been done. And he knows Maxine is doing exactly what the vicar did in a better non-religious doing way. Doing it better. Yeah, yeah, but doing it better. She's far more manipulative and far better. She's more appealing to a wider audience. At fear-mongering than the vicar was and philip is like oh i have a lot to learn from her because i what i have learned i am supposed to aspire to is manipulation and clearly you are a master class in manipulation and i am here i am your student please teach me instead of learning that like politics is for the betterment of the people it is like politics is about power so I don't know what Philip is going to do if he realizes that his fundamental understanding of what he wants to do with his life is flawed. So maybe that's where we're going with Philip. But I don't know. I'm here. I'm willing to give Philip a chance. We're only one third of the way through. Ah, we got time. We got if If the first two episodes are any indication, we have 25 episodes worth of plot. In yes. the next four episodes, so it's fine. And we go back to the PDS sufferers who are working on the fence. And they're taking a break, and they're having a chat. And he's handing out flyers because they're going to have a DOA party. A party for all the PDS sufferers. Yep. Come in the clothes you were buried in. <laughs> and we're all going to party. And Gary walks over, and he's like, what are you guys doing? Simon's like, well, we're taking a break. And Gary goes, no, nobody told you you could take a break. And Simon's like, we are taking a break, Gary. And Gary's like, okay, fine. Five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> because the last time Gary got in a tussle with Simon, yeah, Simon won. Right. Simon won. And so Simon is uh, effectively, manip- effectively fear-mongering using his power over Gary to influence the situation. Yep. Much like the people in our politics are doing. I love it when a show sets up that both sides have flaws. Yes. That you don't have this holy good and holy evil that are against each other. You end up in this, ugh. What right, we- it's groups of people with different values. Yeah, and it's all messy. Yeah. And that's what I like, because that's real life. That's real life. It's all messy. You know, people are always like, well, you can't choose that side. Here's the following right. five flaws. I think flaws. that's why it's I'm so like, relatable. Okay, well, relatable. But I like this mess better than I like that mess. And then we go back to school. And this is where we get our being human reference because the three PDS kids are in the bathroom. In the bathroom stall. And they're like, what is, they're going to take Blue Oblivion, the one kid. has gotten his hands on some Blue Oblivion and he just wants to scare the school. Right. Which I don't know that I believe. This seems like a lot. Yeah, because they know the stories that they've heard of PDS sufferers who have taken Blue Oblivion uh, pretty much all get killed. 
They could very easily get killed. He could very easily kill someone. Yes. He's like, I'm going to go rabbit. I'm going to, I'm just going to tear up the school. Well, no. You, no, when, people are going to be in the way. People are in the way. You could hurt someone. You could, and it's not believable that the guy who likes Gemma is Jemima is in on this because Jemima right. could get hurt. Right. She and they're does like, get hurt. No, no, do it. Do it. Unless they don't remember the severity of what it was like to be rabid. And so they don't think it's going to be as bad as it ends up being. Because he does it. Oh, well, they have the reference where she says, uh, you know, this isn't this isn't actually going to work. It's They said it turns you into a zombie and then you get turned back or whatever. And the one kid's like, yeah, well, she also thinks that there's vampires and werewolves living in whales. Which is the... And being human, they yeah, live the in the last hills. season of being human. So, uh, I don't know. There's they mentioned a name, and I meant to look it up, and I was just looking around to see if my phone was anywhere in the room, and I don't think it is. If the name has an immediate connection, it's not obvious, but they're referencing the being human. If you haven't seen Being Human, both the BBC or the American version, they're good. It's good. Even Matt liked it. Yep. The BBC one definitely jumps the rails, but it's a wild ride. It's a good one. So. In the meantime, this poor zombie kid goes full rabid from the blue oblivion. And the two others, the boy that likes Jemima and the girl, are like, oh, shit. And they start screaming and running away because no one is safe from a rabid. And so this kid starts rampaging down the hall and everybody's shutting the doors. And he's trying to get into this one He breaks a window. He breaks a window. And since it's show and tell day, one of Jemima's classmates has brought a machete. And they're like, Jemima, you were in the HVF. Here, take the machete. Go out, kill it. And they shove her out the door with the machete, which the teacher lets them do. And then shuts, Shame on you. Shame on you. And then shuts the door behind her. Yep. Which I guess, to be fair... The British school system does not have the same level of experience with an active, hostile individual in the That's school. True. Yeah. So this teacher probably has never even imagined themselves having to deal with having maybe, maybe in this world where PDS sufferers are a thing. But if you were in America, there's a protocol for that. I bet they have a special code over the yep. over the intercom lockdown. lockdown. Um, lock your door. Everybody gets down on their hands and knees over in the corner, away from line close of sight the from blinds. the window. Close the blinds. Stay quiet. If that doesn't smack of traumatized children having had to go to high school through that climate. And when we went, it wasn't as bad as it is now. Not even close. Not even fucking close. And that has been your political statement for this episode. So... Shame on this teacher. He lets Jemima go out there and then he shuts the door and locks it behind her. And now she's out there with this machete, which she's even like, no, I kill them with guns. This, I don't yeah, kill them with a machete. This is not my weapon. weapon. And they're like, oh, you kill it with a gun, you kill it with a machete, here you go. And they shove her out there. And poor Jemima even pees herself. She is so upset and traumatized and scared. And before this zombie can get to her, before this rabid can get to her, he comes back to himself. And she's standing there. She even bangs on the window and is trying to get back in. And the one nasty popular girl is grinning. 
is like, she goes, there's your war hero right there. And that's, that's all shitty. That's what that is. Yeah. Wow. What a scene. Yeah. They did not hold back. Yeah. And we find Jemima later and she's changed her pants because she wet herself. And the girl comes in with the picture that she'd grabbed that morning. And she holds it up and she goes, you see this guy right here? This is my dad. And he rose during the rising and you killed him in that grocery store. And I love a good bystander story because Mm -hmm. in the first episode we saw Jemima walk in. We saw her do the like bang, bang, double tap, shoot three or four zombies before she even got to Kieran and Mm -hmm. decided not to kill Kieran. And we didn't talk about the who those people were. We didn't discuss the fact that those people would have been somebody's loved one who had died. Right. So we're adding a lot of nuance to this world. So it's like, you know, that person whose face you don't even remember, who wasn't even worthy of being shown in the flashbacks. That was my dad. And I'm never going to get him back because you shot him in the head. You did. And for what? Which they didn't know they were going to get cured. They didn't know that was coming. Right. I can understand the emotions tied up in it. I can understand everyone being emotional about it. But honestly, they didn't know they were killing people. Right. They were surviving. They were surviving. And they did survive. And there were casualties on both sides. And it sucks. And that's why it's so difficult to heal. Right. And Jemima is aware of the contrast. And she's experiencing trauma because of it. Yeah. But she's at least aware of it. Whereas most of the quote unquote bad guys in season one were doing absolutely zero to update their world framework. Yeah. For how things had actually changed. Yep. Yeah. So you can't really judge people for doing what they need to do to survive mm-hmm. unless when things change, they refuse to. Right. Like Gary, for instance. Like Gary. Because the next scene is Gary asking Maxine Martin to pay him to patrol again. Right. He he's, is not updating. He's not updating world. his model of the world. Jem is. She's. I think she's stuck because she's so traumatized. She can't. Right. But she's at least aware. Like, this girl should be able to see that Jem is suffering. Yeah. That Jem is realizing the entirety of what she has done and what it means. And the fact that not only did she kill people, even though she didn't know they were people at the time. Right. And she can't take it back, but she doesn't know how to do anything else because she's back at school and she's not doing good because she went so long without it. And this isn't her world anymore. This feels jarring to have gone through this situation where as a 14 year old, she was out killing the risen and now she's almost 20 and they're asking her to go to school and study math and learn about biology Yep. 
And there's show and tell for this part of her life that was horrific and difficult and is continuously traumatizing her, but people are going to bring in a machete because it's a joke. Right. Yeah, it's a, what does she call it? A war relic? Yeah, it's a war war relic. Okay. I mean, wow. Way to hit some key talking points here about the effect of war and trauma and the effect of anything that causes PTSD in your life, any kind of trauma that causes it. And then people are like, back to real life, back to day-to-day life, and how that makes it even harder. Yep. Yeah. Which makes it even more relevant to today. Right. Because there's still a lot of people that after being, you know, in, in lockdown during the pandemic for two to three years, now it's like, okay, everybody. Back to real life. Back to real life. Back to the office. Back to the daily grind. Yeah, it's wild. It definitely affects you. Oh, yeah. I remember when we first went into lockdown, I felt so restless. Like, oh, there's so many places I want to go and I can't go. Oh, this sucks. I felt so trapped. And now I'm like, where did I want to go? I don't even remember where I wanted to go. Like, what made me feel trapped? Where was I planning on going that I couldn't go? If I could just stay at the house all day, that would be fine. Mm-hmm. I do stay at the house you all do day. Stay. You're like, it is fine. I do it every single day. Sometimes I send Matt out for, like, a grocery item. Matt, go get cheese. He's like, what is this orange ball of light in the sky? And why does it burn my face? Ow! Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't help that you're a ginger, so... Right, so I'm naturally averse naturally to the sun. naturally averse to the sun. What does the kids keep going? The sun's a deadly laser or something. <laughs> the sun's a deadly laser. Anyway, Simon and Karen have been continuing their conversation. And Karen's like, oh, we don't have to put up with this forever. It's only for six months. We'll be fine. And Simon's like, six months? Who told you six months? And he's like, well, that's what they said. They said we would be up for evaluation in six months. And Simon's like... That means it's a motherfucking scam. They're going to keep pushing you out as far as they can push you out. Yep. It's a joke. And Kieran goes home and researches it on their family computer. Just love that they have a family computer uh, and it's downstairs in the dining yeah. room. Ours was in the living room. Mine was in the dining room. Yeah. Your family computer. Fuck laptops. Nobody had laptops. That wasn't a thing. You had a computer. Well, I mean, this is late enough that this is supposed to feel antiquated. Yeah. But when computers and the internet was first a thing, you that was always in the public. Like that was in shared space. You couldn't have that in your own room. Right. I didn't even have internet at home until I was 14 or 15. Yeah. Well, that's because we're the Oregon Trail generation. Mm-hmm. We're, we're elder millennials. <laughs> I think that's such a funny name l it makes me feel like i should be on a council or something yes elder yes oh i i heard uh this one hold on yeah so i saw this on the internet the other day and it was none of us have to be millennials anymore if you were born between the animated lord of the rings in 1978 and lord of the rings fellowship of the ring 2001 you're the hobbit generation promised wealth and adventure but finding only war and ruin. <laughs> That's so true. Do you know how many times I saw The Fellowship of the Ring in the theaters? 
How many? Would you care to guess? Uh, 500,000. That's too high. Like a reasonable <laughs> guess. Like, like I do with the kids. How many is that? I don't know. More than one, less than a billion. <laughs> no, come on. Make a reasonable uh, guess. 15. A little lower. Eight. Close. Nine. Seven. I saw it seven times in the theater. Uh, to be fair, the last probably three were at the $1.50 theater. Which is a thing that used to exist. R.I.P. Second Run Movie Theaters. First it went to the movie theater. And when it left the movie theater, it went to the Second Run Movie Theaters, where you paid like a dollar fifty or $2. And all the concessions were like $15 for popcorn, because it was the only place they made their money. And then you would go, and everything was always sticky, because it was a dollar fifty. But you paid a buck, so who cared? And it was all the old film that had just been played however many times at the previous theater, so sometimes it would be janky. Oh, those were good times. There was one where we used to live, and everybody had to wear these multicolored suspenders in a plastic bow tie. Ew. I think about that a lot. But anyway, everyone's kind of hooking back up with... They're making poor choices. I think the last... The last 15, 10 to 15 minutes of this episode should be called Everyone is Making Bad Decisions. Because Kieran has just found out that basically it's all a lie. He's a servant or a slave forever, and he's never going to get to go to Paris just because of what he is. And so he decides to go talk to Simon because Simon's got connections. Simon because Simon people is a in disciple. High places. He's one of the undead prophet's 12 disciples. And the place that he knows Simon is going to be is the DOA party. So Kieran gets out his burial clothes, which are apparently a denim jacket with a flannel shirt underneath and jeans. And we get a little bit of a hint at the party of why Kieran is so important to Simon and Amy. Do we? Simon is has been interviewing people. Oh, he's looking for the first risen. Well, the he's first person he's who rose. Trying to find out he and Maxine are both trying to identify at least like a, a ballpark time when each person rose. Yeah. And so Simon has been working up to this guy who's one of the earliest. And he basically says, oh, yeah, when I rose. And then Karen walks up. Oh, I recognize that denim jacket. That denim jacket was there when I rose. Yeah. And Karen's Implying like, oh, do I Kieran know Implying that Karen is the first or one of the first yeah. risen. He was at least before this guy. Yep. And meanwhile, Jemima goes with Gary. Because Gary shows up and he's like, Fucking sup, Gary. Jemima? Fuck Gary. Right? And she's like, oh, my God, Gary. I need a life right now, lifeline right now. Plus, I just drank half one of those two liters of cider, hard cider. And so she hops in the car with him. And yeah. she decides to go on patrol with him because he's not really patrolling. He's doing overtime inspecting the fence, which is how Maxine is going to write it Supervising the yeah. work on the fence after hours. After hours. Even though the PDS sufferers are not there right now, he's quote-unquote supervising 
And it's just a workaround so he can get he paid. Can patrol. Yeah, he can yeah. get paid again. And they're kind of having a heart to heart. This is the most soft I've seen Gary. Um, probably because Jemima was human, and I was really expecting him to try to take advantage of Jemima. Right, but I kept I, waiting for. I was like braced for it because I know she's, he pulled over, and I'm like, Ugh, I was fucking like, pervert. Oh God, no! Because she's clearly tipsy, yep. and clearly in a low emotional moment. And the only thing he really does is give her her gun back, her hand cannon. Let's call it. <laughs> he gives her a giant fucking gun back, and he's like, "I took, I got that from the kid you pawned it to. It's a that's a relic, you know. That's got history, a piece of history. You need to keep that." Yeah. And she's like, "Oh my god, it feels so good to have my gun back. Things make sense now. This is me. This is who I am." This is what this is what I my formative years were spent with this gun in my hand. And they just so they go on patrol together like they used to. And meanwhile, Kieran is at this party and everybody's having a really good time and everybody is like high. Right. And Kieran's like, why does everybody seem so um up? Up. And Amy's like, because we just ate brains, dum dum. <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, I'm sorry, what? And she goes, ah, they're sheep brains. And she holds up a plate and she's like, do you want some? And he's like, oh, no. <laughs> so she's she like, takes they a make me feel really good. And she calls him her BDFF, her best dead friend forever. And he's like, yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Where is Simon? Where is Simon? And he does get to Simon, and they have the conversation off screen about the fact that he wants to leave and he wants Simon's help. And Simon's kind of like, um... I don't actually know those kinds of people. Yeah, I can't actually do that. I don't think he would even if he could. Right, and Simon really wants Kieran to stay around. Yeah, he's like, I thought you were going to stay here and make things better. And Kieran's like, yeah, I actually don't want to do that. I just want to leave and get a better life for myself. And Simon's like, well, I'm here. We could have a better life. Oh, yeah. Life. This is when Simon makes the move. Yeah. He puts, he's like a little bit like, so I heard about Rick. Maybe, maybe, you, uh, like, what does he say? I don't have anything to stay for. Well, there's Amy. Like, there's your family. Yeah. But they're all fine with me leaving. And there's yeah. Amy. Yeah. There's Amy. And there's me. And there's me. And Kieran's like, oh. and then Amy runs up and she's like, hello, handsome, because she's high on sheep brains. <laughs> and she's like, I'm going to go get more fire for this, or wood for this beautiful fire. Yeah. And she leaves. She runs off into the woods. And meanwhile, the kid that really likes Jemima is at this party, too. And he is also tripping on some sheep brains. Yep. Which makes you wonder, none of them have eaten this entire time, which means they are capable of, they don't get hungry in the same way that you would expect them to get hungry. So they don't need anything, which means that when they were killing people as zombies, as untreated PDS sufferers, was that literally just like a hit, like a brain hit i think i saw this as a trivia item on imdb and it was saying that there was an explanation i think while the show was airing that the brain they got their energy from eating the brains yeah but then 
they didn't want to um like try to add that as part of like add what do they eat after they've been you know medicated because it would just complicate things. it would just be complicated filler yeah it's like do vampires shit right nobody cares you don't nobody cares if they should unless it's demon under glass right and then they cover vampire excrement that's not even a you can't. I'm sorry. The, <laughs> we can't even discuss that in the same league as in the flesh. They could have. Okay, That's, we're gonna do a drunk review of Demon Under Glass someday, and it's gonna be epic. And yeah. we will discuss vampires peeing when we do that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But the, my metaphor stands. There are certain things nobody wants covered. Right. Are vampires more attracted to women when they are on their periods? I have read one book where they talked about it, and that's enough. If I had read zero, that would have been better. I don't care, and I don't want to hear about it. It's just one of those things I'm not interested in hearing discussed. And I think this is probably this, too. It was like... Right. They, they just don't didn't worry want about to it. talk about it because it's not important to the story. Right. That makes sense. But again, following the logic of the sheep brains, literally killing and eating people was like a was like a hit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, so the kid, Jemima's BDFF, who wanted to be her BDFF, is yeah. wandering in the woods. He's headed home. He's headed yep. home. He's just walking down the trail. Yeah, he's headed a teenager. Home. He's headed home. And Jemima has gotten out of the car and is running because she thinks she hears a rabbit. And she is having a full on PTSD panic attack. Yeah. And she ends up running through the fence out towards this kid. And then she ends up shooting him in the head. Henry is his name. She ends up shooting Henry in the head. And that's the end of the episode. And she and Gary are both there staring at. Henry. Yeah. They both approach him. And Gary for once is like, oh shit. What have you done? Yeah. What have because even Gary, Gary can Gary pushes. Gary is right. gross. Gary's a predator. Gary's net. I don't like Gary. Fuck Gary. But even Gary knows there's a line. Right. Like an untreated PDS sufferer. Yeah. Okay. Self-defense, maybe. Right. If it's necessary. A treated PDS sufferer, that's just, to him, a lesser person, but still a person. Right. And maybe when Bill was alive, he would have been more on board with it. But killing a PDS sufferer got Bill killed. Right. And Gary is a survivor. So no matter how much he may hate them, he recognizes this is at the end antithesis to surviving the way he wants to survive which is by still getting to do whatever the fuck he wants right by still being a nominally accepted member of society yeah so he's like oh shit and that's the end of the episode this was a good episode this is so plot heavy it's almost. Ex- I'm like, oh god, there's so much to pay attention to. I have to yeah, keep this track felt of these closer to season one. How so? Um, like the density. Oh of- yeah, 
of emotion. Uh, yeah, emotion. Yeah, I feel like season one was emotionally dense. Season yeah. two is plot dense. Yeah. I don't think we get any less real commentary because we're still commenting on a lot of things. Yeah. But There's the commentary is less of the point. Right. It's more like the backdrop on which we're putting these things. So they had the Tony Awards. I just want to put this out there because I think it's really interesting. So you know that the Writers Guild is still on strike. Yep. And so they came to a deal with the Writers Guild to still be able to have the Tony Awards if it was unscripted. Okay. So no one wrote any scripts for it. All the presenters were just up there free balling. Okay. And that way the WGA would not picket it. Gotcha. So there was a presenter who was presenting an award and she called Governor DeSantis the Grand Wizard on purpose. <laughs> she goes, oops, I'm sorry. I mean the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, who will hopefully be changing the name of this town immediately because the guy who won was from Plantation, Florida. Oh. Yeah. It was like a recognizing a teacher, like a theater teacher for excellence. Okay. And two non-binary actors won. Nice. So I just want to put that out there. But talk about commentary. That's a good one. That's what TV is for. That's what media is for. Yes. And I like when it's presented in this way. Satire has its place. But satire teaches us to laugh at things. Instead of dealing with them. Right. So satire is a double-edged sword. It's important because it highlights things, but it also doesn't solve anything. It just encourages us to, oh, let's just laugh at our problems instead of actually dealing with them. Well, I think it does have some value. It has its place. For, yes. For bringing it up. Right. In a way that's less triggering yeah yes it does but it's like satire should be like a slice of pie in a well-balanced meal right it shouldn't be the only way we do political commentary right this is a great way to do commentary yes i love sci-fi fantasy for here's this concept right of how a society may or may not be structured Right. And we're going to emphasize some details of that so that we can just very eloquently discuss the repercussions. Yeah. And it and ends up the motivations and everything involved. Yeah. It ends up feeling timeless instead yes. of timely and timely. But if you look at like, okay, you watch an SNL skit from the 80s and they have a Ronald Reagan impersonator. Right. That doesn't hit the same. You don't give a shit. I don't know Ronald Reagan. I wasn't, I mean, I was alive when he was president, but not like appreciably. <laughs> I couldn't vote or anything. So whatever. It doesn't mean anything to me. But if you showed me a show from the 80s like this, that was showing me like a slice of life from someone who was being discriminated against in the 80s, I could apply that to my life now. It's like a lot of what they were trying to do in the 60s with Star Trek. Right. That still feels timely. It still feels timeless because we weren't commenting on a specific 
cast of characters. We right. weren't commenting on the president and whatever. We were commenting on like the zeitgeist, the inherent bias in the system, the hatred toward certain groups of people. We were using metaphor, using story, using the toolbox of narrative to craft this commentary that if you watch it now, still feels important. Uhura still feels important. She in and of herself is a commentary and it's beautiful and it's well done. And she's treated better on that show than a lot of people of color, female actors are portrayed or shown or utilized in television now. And that's the sixties. And that, that's why Star Trek is an enduring show. And that's why I wish this show had gotten more publicity than it did. I hate that it fell in this weird random spot where the, where the whole network was trying to move online. Right. And it was just this whole corporate scheme. Right. And this got kind of cut off and dropped by the side of the road. Right. And it's so... I know we keep saying this, but it is so well presented. And I feel like presenting it in the way that they did as a zombie show sells it so short because people are like, oh, it makes it really approachable for people who wouldn't normally watch. Right. But like a a zombie show, I'm not going to watch a zombie show. I mean, The Last of Us gets the publicity and the audience it does because you get video game players and television people. And right. then it got hype, so people went and watched it. I mean, if you're just like, unless you're a zombie person, you're not sitting down like, oh, I think I want to watch a zombie television show today. That's true. Yeah. I don't know how else you could have presented it. But anyway, if you know anyone in your life who hasn't seen this show, I don't know. Get them to watch it. Let's Let's get it. Let's blow it up a little bit, and then maybe we can get that guy to make his podcast, and then we can get our season three, even if it's just him telling us what would have happened in season three. Graphic audio. Let's let's manifest this. <laughs> uh, we, hey, we have like reliably around 13 listens per episode. There are a dozen at least. There's of, a dozen of there's you. There's a dozen of us. We can do this. Assuming it's the same 13 people. I went to see uh, Transformers Rise of the Beasts Uh the other day. I did not go. One of the best lines in the movie. uh, One of the lines that stood out as most significant to me Mm -hmm. was, Yo, that's some real manifestation. (laughs) (laughs) Because... You primed yourself to be ready for the word manifestation because we joke about it so much. Yeah. I mean, I get it. That's like a big part of some people's lifestyle and it's important to them. And really, it's like meditation and focusing and really aiming yourself. Right. You are, you're priming yourself. Yeah. Really like psychologically priming yourself by visualizing what you want the outcome to be. You become primed to observe the kinds of things that will get you there. Right. And that's great. And And it's a useful tool to put in your toolbox. Right. It is not. But it's not. It's not going to get you there. It's not the only tool that should be in your toolbox. Exactly. All right. Well, 
I think this is good. I think this was good. I'm looking forward to episode three. I want to know how we're going to handle this. I feel like in some ways Jemima's story arc has become so much more tumultuous than Kieran's. Yes, absolutely. And this is a really, I wasn't expecting that flip. And I'm here to see what happens with it, especially now that she's done something that she can't justify to herself. I mean, she can kind of justify the ones that she did during the rising. Right. But how do you, how do you bullshit yourself out of this, out of, into, back into a place where you feel okay with yourself? I'm interested to see what we do with that. Especially once she finds out how he felt about her. He's got that bracelet. She's bound to get a hold of that bracelet because we've been seeing it every episode. And he has been mentioning it to his friends at school yes. like and every day. If we know anything about this show, it's that they freaking love foreshadowing. Yeah. So. <clears throat> so remember, sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful too. So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye.